I'm on the phone today with Tom Hughes. Thanks for joining me, Tom. Thank you, Jack, for having me. Uh, Tom was a two-term mayor of Hillsborough, Oregon, and then a two-term Metro Council president. So those are two elected offices with very different sized electorates. Um, Tom, why don't you start today talking about your experience running for mayor of Hillsborough and what that was like? Well, uh, in 2000, I had a number of people. I was on the planning commission in Hillsborough, uh, having served on the city council back in the late 70s. And I had a number of people who had worked with me when I was on the council come to me and say that I needed to run for mayor uh, for a variety of reasons. And some of those were persuasive. And it was helpful that I had sort of always wanted to be mayor. So uh, so I decided to go ahead and do that. Uh, Hillsborough by that time was a city of about 65,000 people. Uh, it was fifth largest in the state, which it still is. And uh, so it had gotten too big to actually contemplate a campaign where you went door to door like I had when I was on city, running for city council. Or, and, and as I had when I ran for state legislature, by the way. Uh, but the uh, city was way too big to do that. So the only door to door campaigning that I did was to go down major transportation routes and knock on doors and ask people for lawn sign locations. Uh, so we did lawn signs. We did... Uh, a couple of billboards, and uh, most but most of it was direct mail. And I was fortunate to have a guy who worked on my campaign, volunteered to work on my campaign, who had a um, catalog service selling materials that he bought in Australia and sold uh, not by the internet in those days, but uh, but by direct mail. And so he was sort of the the king of direct mail in, in the people that I knew. And he could organize that about as well as anybody I knew. And so we basically, we basically hit the hit the town with three uh, with three mailers uh, that talked about why I should be mayor. Uh, and for the most part, I think that actually the biggest boost that I got was backhandedly from the Hillsborough Argus, which was the local newspaper, that in their first article about the, the campaign said that. The decision was very clear if you wanted to continue to vote, if you wanted to continue Hillsborough to grow the way it had been growing, then you'd vote for the other guy. And if you wanted the growth to stop, you'd vote for Hughes. Uh, I was actually never a no-growther. I, I believed we ought to try to see if there was a way we could meter the growth to the ability to provide infrastructure for that growth. But I was never a no-growther. But I did know when that article went out how the bulk of the population felt i was pretty certain that that was going to be a good thing for me and i think i i think in the long run it really was and that was not they did not intend to give you an endorsement no, right no they in fact they endorsed the other guy uh when they finally got around to their editorial endorsements they endorsed the other guy and i, I pretty much knew they would from the get-go uh and so, that was one where the you know in a, in a place like hillsborough there is a tendency to assume that all the people that are part of what I've heard described as the chatter class, the people who talk about city government, who think about city government, who get involved in city government, there is an assumption on, on their part, amongst others, that, that they represent the entire community. Uh, and so he had pretty well locked up that group by the time, uh, by the time I 
got involved in the race. And so I had no endorsees or endorsers, I mean, uh, amongst the local amongst the local power structures. Several of them probably would have endorsed me if I'd announced first, but they had already committed to him. And so they went ahead and they went ahead and followed through with that commitment. Uh, I wound up sort of scrambling for people to endorse me. And uh, Lessa Coyne, who had been a long-term congressman from our area, was a friend, and, and he agreed to endorse me. Barbara Roberts, who was uh, the, the just-passed governor, I think, at the time, uh, agreed to endorse me. And Neil Goldschmidt, who was a previous governor, agreed to endorse me. So my three endorsees or endorsers were uh, two former governors and a, a congressman and nobody from the local level. But the problem was, and this kind of goes back again to things people need to think about when they decide they want to run for office, and that is that there's a mechanics to running that is not common knowledge. So, for example, when you do the voters' pamphlet, you have to put in your voters' pamphlet submission literally word for word what you want in the voters' pamphlet. And we knew that, and so my voters' pamphlet material, in addition to statements about why they should vote for me, included things like uh, who, who endorsed me. His included the statement about what a good guy he was and why people should vote for him. But he made the assumption, faulty as it was, that the county would just add all of the names as endorsers if he submitted the forms that he needed to submit for them to be added as endorsers. Of course, they don't do that. So my voters pamphlet stuff came out with three fairly prominent endorsers. In those days, you could still use Neil Goldschmidt. Uh, and uh, his came out with nobody. And so that, I thought that was a bit of a benefit also. And that was just a mechanical uh, error, essentially a clerical error. How did, you, yeah. how did you know how to do that and he didn't? The guy that was the... the who was running my campaign was very knowledgeable about how to do that. He he had run two or three other local campaigns, and he he knew the, those mechanics pretty well. And how did you get that uh, campaign manager? And and also, how did you get the direct mail guy who was a volunteer? Did they come they were, to you with their sort of recruitment packet? The people who roped you in? No, interestingly enough, they were both the same guy. Ah, <laughs> and uh, and he was the one that had approached me first and said I should run for mayor. So uh, he was just a local guy that cared very much about how city government operated and had some very definite ideas. Uh, he, I, I also got. Uh, and he came with campaign. Home. He came with campaign savvy. So he recruited you and also said, "Hey, I can run this campaign for you as a volunteer, and I know what to do." Exactly, and uh, and and could, which was quite remarkable because a lot of people think they can and can't, but he he really could. The other thing that was beneficial to the campaign. The League of Conservation voters had been sort of casting around, uh, had, had made a decision somewhere in their process that they wanted to recruit a bunch of local candidates uh, to endorse. Uh, and they had identified the mayor's race in Hillsborough as one that would be worthwhile uh, to jump into. And one of my former students was in charge of um, making those asks, and so he called and said, "You need to run from there," uh, and, uh, and and then offered the support and the help of the League of Conservation Voters. And in, so, in addition to the three direct mailers that we did, they had uh, they had their own uh, their own material that went out uh, 
they had volunteers that worked. I don't think any of them went door to door, but they I, they may have gone door to door and passed out a brochure that that uh, gave all of their endorsees, and I was one of them. So and you didn't have I to got, do anything I got about that. Support. I got support from them, but that was a, that was literally an independent campaign. We never communicated during the campaign. So that was an outside group that just supported you, and they used their activist energy and their money to print. Uh, the, I, I suppose the mailer that they had and the, and the card that was passed out door to door had a bunch of a different endorsements on, not just your name. Right, right, not just me. The other thing about that that's, uh, I mean, I think is is typical of what you will find in, in politics was I think that the League of Conservation Voters uh, became interested in finding someone in Hillsborough to run for mayor because the candidate who had announced for mayor had just been the past president of the Home Builders Association for the metro area. And, you know, there is that competition amongst special interest groups that, uh, and I know after years of working with OEA, that that if OSBA, for example, had come down really solidly on a candidate, uh, OEA would probably look in the same race for somebody to run against them just because, you know, <laughs> it's one of those competitive things. Right. So they saw so a number of different people saw this uh, guy running and uh, thought, well, we need to put somebody up against him. And then uh, how did they see you as the guy for them? What, what was it that attracted them to you? You know, it might have helped that that, uh, that and, the, and the guy who recruited me, by the way, for the League of Conservation Voters was Brad Avakian. As, as you remember, he was the state labor commissioner for quite a while afterwards. Uh, but he'd been a former student of mine. And I think that I think what attracted him to me was was that. I guess I think my work on the planning commission had sort of indicated to people that uh, at least when it came to growth, I was uh, thoughtful about it. I was not a knee jerk. I didn't assume that the developer had uh, benefit of the doubt that everybody, you know, we we always held them very accountable. And then I I suspect that it didn't hurt that that the paper announced. Well, actually, it was later. I guess that was later, but. That I think that their enthusiasm for it came when that paper announced that I was a, I was a no growther, uh, which was somewhat more consistent with their philosophy than it would have been with the home builders. Now you mentioned that the other candidate had a lot of the pretty much the whole local scene endorsing him. Um, how late did you get into the race? Uh, you know, I think I filed on the I may have filed on the very last day that you could file, which uh, if I remember correctly. It may have been August. Um, I'm trying to remember because Hillsborough uh, city uh, city elections in Hillsborough have just the general election. There's no primary election in Hillsborough, so I only had one election to, one election to do. And I think we filed late, uh, late enough that we that we thought we'd sneak up on some people. Right. So the I, so the other candidate though he was he went he announced months earlier than that and lined up yeah, all the yeah. local support. So you got He'd in late. A, he, yeah. He'd been in it for a long time, and it began to appear actually like he was sort of going to, you know, he was the uh, heir apparent that would just automatically get it. Do you think he got soft because he had all these local endorsements and the paper was behind him and he was, you know, got in sooner than you and that he didn't pay enough attention? Is that Yeah, maybe. I mean, I I think that there was that. And and the other thing was, I I sort of came in at, this was true when I ran for city council, too, back in the 76th. That I, I sort of came in at a, a, a juncture between an older style of politics and a newer style of politics in Hillsborough. Uh, I spent $16,000 on the mayor's race, and that was more than anybody had spent in the history of Hillsborough. So, 
And what? And, and I don't know. I don't know what the the current uh, the current incumbent. I don't think has had opposition. So uh, I, I I doubt if he spent that amount either. But and can you break uh, down roughly what you like? What were your major expenditures uh, that, that added almost, up to sixteen? It was almost entirely on uh, uh, the expense of doing the direct mailers and the postage and the cost of doing the direct mailers. So that's it. so those are expensive. How how much do you th- how much does it cost to send? And how many did you send out? You sent out three. How many households uh, did it reach? Do you remember? No, uh, but I'm guessing it was it was in the close to twenty thousand probably. Right, and that's so. I rem- uh, I interviewed Senator Lou Frederick um, uh, for my mm-hmm. podcast, and he so he, he represents a, a slightly smaller. No, he represents about the size uh, district that uh, Hillsborough was at that time. And he said to send a mailer to all of his the households in his district costs eight thousand dollars, and that's in current costs. Yeah. So yeah. that so you, so you you sent that's out three, just about right. Yeah, and so you sent out three mailers, and that yeah. and almost had to do sixteen thousand dollars. Now, do you think that um, the lawn signs and the billboards uh, were effective, or do you think that mostly it was your direct mailers, the conserva- League of conservation voters mailers, and then the voters pamphlet that did it for you? No, I think it was the mail um, more than anything else. I mean, the you know it's almost a defensive thing that the lawn signs are important only to only because if you don't have lawn signs and the opponent does uh it sends a message to some people in the community about the campaigns uh and so i think just having just having enough lawn signs up so that people know they're there and see them that they're there and we know what we know i think from polling uh over the years is that they're much more effective if they're in people's lawn rather than if you put them up along the side of the road Right, and so uh, so you're saying they're defensive in the in the sense that they don't necessarily win people's minds, but they they make you not look bad. Yeah, one of the great one of the great uh, lawn sign related uh, tactics that I ever saw in the, in local politics was a, 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 a state legislator and later state senator Jeanette Hamby uh, had a, a fair number of lawn signs spread around the district when she was running, I think, for the house. And uh, on the day of the election, every lawn sign in the district had a, a helium-filled balloon attached to it. Uh, and, and what that said to all of us, at least who were halfway knowledgeable, but I think even to people who were not halfway knowledgeable, was, wow, this lady is really organized. Uh, that she could get those, and it, and it called everybody's attention again to the lawn signs that we had all been driving by so long that we'd forgotten what they said. Right, so it, it's uh, it's less about the fact that people, you know, she won by issues or, or uh, even name recognition so much as it just seemed like, wow, that person has it together. Let's vote for her. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, sometimes I think campaigns are like that. I mean, you, you there's stuff that you got to do simply because, uh, you know, I, in, in my campaign for Metro President, where it was involved a lot more calling people for money. There were people that I called for money that I knew were not going to give me money. In many cases, because they had given my opponent money, or one of my opponents money already. But I called them because, uh, on the advice of my campaign manager, those were people that if you didn't call them, they would say to other people, he can't have much of a campaign. He didn't even call me asking me for money. So there's just some due diligence you have to uh, go about. Uh, even if you're not going to get money or support or endorsements, you have to just go around and do these things to yep. play defense. Yep, you got to touch base. You got to, you know, it's the same with uh, going for endorsement interviews with organizations that you know aren't going to endorse you. Uh, 
strange things happen when you when you do well in an interview. And if nothing else, it it uh, keeps them from saying, well, you know, we, he didn't even show up for the endorsement. Uh, so I've never I, I've never ducked an endorsement interview, even when I knew that they were not going to endorse me. Uh, so again, in the, in the later election, in the metro election, the League of Conservation Voters endorsed my opponent. Uh, but I wound up going to uh, their interviews and to their some of their events. They had events where they would they would only allow you uh, to speak if you were an endorsed uh, OLCV candidate, and and I would get up on the stage and say, you know, every following a bunch of people who said I'm here tonight because you have endorsed me. I could get up on the stage and say, I'm here tonight because you endorsed me when I ran for mayor. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, there, and, you know, I think there were some people that resented that, but there were more people that thought that they had, you know, they carried a little bit of chutzpah about it. Right. And it's gutsy for sure. And it reminded them that, that, you know, I was not the devil incarnate. Uh, I had been worthy of, of their endorsement along the way. In fact, they had endorsed me for both, both races for mayor. And so, um, you know, it was. I think that I think that you miss an opportunity to present yourself to a public if you don't take an, every opportunity you get, because God knows you don't get very many opportunities. Right. So it doesn't matter. I like that <laughs> advice that you have to go to endorsement interviews, even for organizations you know aren't going to endorse you, because you just have to show up, and you never know. Yeah. Um, and then also, if you do show up, then at least they say, well, okay, he's 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 not just writing us off. We don't endorse right. him, but we're not going to come hard at him. He cares enough to yeah. come. It, it might make two or three thousand dollars worth of difference in how much money they give to your opponent. Right. Is, you know, that's, that's a, almost like an endorsement. Just probably more than they're going to give you if they endorse you. Right. So, um, how much preparation did you do for endorsement interviews, and what kind of preparation? Uh, well, <clears throat> I think that one of my greatest flaws is that I tend to play everything sort of off the cuff. Uh, and and I mean, I I reviewed some of their some of their literature. I looked at what the organization was about. Uh, I looked a little bit at who the board of directors was just to see if there were going to be people that I knew that would be on the board. Uh, and so, and, you know, it kind of looked a little bit at what their issues were so that, that you weren't completely uh, completely lost when they wanted to talk about issues. But I, I didn't really do a ton of research for, for interviews. Now, when you were running for Metro uh, president, that was a yeah. much bigger election. You had a bigger budget. Did you do more preparation, right. or did your campaign manager have you more prepared for yeah, endorsement interviews? Yeah, I would not have gotten away with winning it as much as, in that race as I did with the mayor's race. Simply not so much because I couldn't, but because my campaign manager would have killed me. Now, I want to talk <laughs> about. I want to move on to talk about your uh, Metro race, but I first sure. want to ask you. Um, how did you raise that sixteen thousand dollars for your first race for mayor? You know, I, I, I did uh, almost by the book. I sent out a letter to my Christmas tree, my Christmas card list, and said I'm going to run for mayor, and I would appreciate your support, your money, and uh, and I then I got uh, a couple of endorsements from, and it just went basically to people who had been involved in city government, people who. Um, you know, organizations like the firefighters and the police, uh, the policemen, uh, the police union, uh, some of those folks do formal endorsements. OEA decided to endorse in that particular race, partly because I've been involved in OEA for 27 years at that point in time, I think. 
And so, um, you know, there were a variety of places, but... Uh, and so those organizations, in addition to endorsing you, they gave you money? They also gave money, yeah. So how much of the 16000 do you think came from organizations and how much came from individuals? You know, I would guess offhand that no more than five or 6000 of it came from organizations. I think the rest of it came from small small donations from individuals. And you started off with your Christmas list. How, how big is your, uh, your Christmas card list? <laughs> my wife. Over the years, my wife has done a really good job of... of uh, amassing a Christmas Christmas mail list. So we've got probably two or three hundred on the Christmas mail list. Now, I'm glad you mentioned your wife because I want to ask you um, to talk a little bit about her involvement and her <laughs> feelings about your, your, your political campaigns. Well, you know, there's an old saying in politics that the first, that the first primary is the money. Uh, you know, not in my household. In my household, the first primary is my wife. Uh, and in each case, uh, when I told her that there were people who wanted me to run for, you know, fill in the blank, her response automatically was, did you tell them that they were idiots? <laughs> uh, when I finally told her I wanted to run for mayor, I, and I've always thought this was, this is kind of a classic story. She said, if you really want to run for mayor, you can run for mayor, but you got to understand three things. First of all, you will lose. And you will lose because John has already gotten endorsements from every major person in town that knows anything about city government. Second of all, when you lose, you will never run for anything again. And third, none of our money is going to go into the campaign. <laughs> and I said okay to all of that. And she was wrong. Uh, she was wrong about all three. She's not necessarily the best political analyst, apparently. No, no, no. But but you know, I I can remember growing up that the the hardest sell amongst my parents was my dad, largely because my mom would always say, well, you got to ask your dad. And what I would, what I found out is that when I organized my arguments to convince my dad, <laughs> my arguments got a whole lot better. And I think it's the same thing with my wife, too. If I can convince my wife, then I probably can convince people who are a lot less involved and a lot less uh, negative. Well, that's good. So, right. uh, so she provides you with a good practice round. Yeah, exactly. And, and is skeptical. And then, and then, like all campaigns, I mean, I, I have, I have never held it against anyone for either running against me or, uh, or giving contributions to people running against me. But my wife and daughters <laughs> hold that against people for a very long time. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I've heard from people who run campaigns that um, the family and the spouses often take the negative campaigning and the blows of the campaign harder than the candidate themselves. Oh, yeah. That sounds like your experience. Is that? Do you know other people who run for office who've had a similar experience? You know, I, I suspect in watching uh, the other two candidates that ran for Metro president, uh, and, and, uh, and I maintained probably not as a direct strategy, but sort of kind of part of my very very nature i i maintain pretty good relationships with both of their wives uh and we all came out of that campaign with their wives not liking the other guy very much at all but thinking i was probably okay well you are a very affable guy tom and i i think that that has probably carried you through your political career quite well yeah you know it's got pluses and minuses i think i mean you know i i was when the Oregonian first did the first article on the Metro Council race, they they described me as the affable former mayor of Hillsborough. So I asked my campaign, I said, "Is, is affable a good, 
you know, a good instructor. I mean, good from the, not good from the standpoint, is it accurate, but good from the standpoint is, because I know to me, sometimes that almost sounds simple minded. Right. Uh, and they all said, no, 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 that's okay. That's good. And, and I think that, uh, it has, it has worked in my favor in that, uh, I think you're a little, a little hesitant, although, uh, general election for Metro president would not say altogether hesitant to run negative campaigns against somebody who is viewed as really likable. So you had in, so yeah, let's, let's, let's pivot and talk about the Metro race. Um, sure. You had, there, there were negative, there were, there were attacks on you in that race. Yeah. And, and again, the thing about, you know, people look back on that race and say, God, what a, what a really upscale, upbeat, clean, positive campaign that was. Uh, I, I remember it slightly differently, but, but you know the, the talks were not uh, were not vicious. No one accused me of being corrupt or, or immoral or, or anything else. Like, they, the worst that they the, the worst that they identified me was as a lob that I was a, a lobbyist for development for developers. Uh, which I, yeah, there was I had worked for in the interim between mayor and metro president. I worked for a law firm and we represented a developer. Uh, so I suppose technically you could say that was true, although uh, the News Times did a fact check on it and found that it would be rated like two Pinocchios or something. I don't remember because they said, you know, the guy spent 30 years teaching and 30 years in public service. And then to say that the two years he spent as a, as a lobbyist, mark who he is, is, is ridiculous, particularly when he's running against a guy who has just spent the last 10 years of his life in a position where he was lobbying for environmental groups. So, uh, I, you know, <clears throat> there's, there's a danger, <clears throat> a danger in going negative. One of the things that we knew, cause you know, again, getting into that race, the very first thing, well, the very first thing I did, uh, once I was convinced that I, I wanted to run was to get the partners in the law firm. I was working on with for enough money to sort of get the thing started and they helped me recruit uh, a woman by the name of Stacy Dykus who uh, had had run uh, campaigns for uh, the state treasurer at the time and she was really knowledgeable about uh, about statewide races uh, and and Metro president comes pretty dang close to being a statewide race. Right. What's the constituency but, in the metro council 1. area? 1.6 million people in metro. And, of course, the metro president has to run throughout the metro region. We run at large throughout the region. So I mean, that's a huge uh, That's a huge district. That's bigger than running for U.S. Senate in a lot of states. Yeah. Well, and it's, uh, you know, it's, there are parts of three congressional districts. It's, it's probably twice as large as a congressional district. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's a it's you you run it very much like a statewide race, and Stacy was Stacy was really knowledgeable about how to do that, and so and was she your manager uh, or was she a consultant? She was my manager, and uh, and she was um, she was pretty fierce. I mean, she brought a level a level of discipline, and and that's the other thing I think you and I have talked about over the years is that you got to be very disciplined about this. I mean, the stuff that you do in a political campaign, whether it's a uh, a, a campaign that's small enough that you can go door to door or one where you have to spend your time on the telephone raising money. It takes discipline to do that. I mean, you've got to be able to tell yourself at the end of each call, I can make this next call because everything in your system says, Oh God, I hate doing this. <laughs> 
right? How many, well, how many calls did you, I don't I'm sorry to interrupt you, but how many calls do you think you made when you ran for Metro president and, and how much money did you raise? Well, uh, we raised, I, we raised around $300,000 in the primary and about 500,000 in the general. So you had to, you had to raise and spend $800,000 to win Metro president. Yeah, and the interesting thing is that in the primary where I had two opponents, I think both of my opponents outspent me by almost two to one. And in the general election, uh, I know that on paper, even, uh, my opponent outspent me two to one, and he actually had an outside contributor that contributed money that we, we're not sure how much came in. But So you won, uh, you, you won by spending less. Uh, so you, you beat that idea that you know uh, money equals victory. That's yeah, 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 yeah. I've never, I've really never. I mean, because one of the things is you got to when you get when you have money, you got to be able to you spend it. I mean, it's not just having it; it's how you spend it. And uh, so, one of the things that Stacy organized initially when we first brought her on board uh, was we did some baseline polling. Uh, and, and of course, one of the things you do in the initial poll is you say, you know, what what does this race look like in terms of name familiarity? And what we discovered, not very surprisingly, was that none of the three of us broke 10% in terms of name familiarity. So none of us were particularly well known. Uh, and then she crafted a, a fairly accurate uh, uh, description, dis- gener- generic description of each of us. And they polled that, and it turned out that my generic description polled way better than theirs. Uh, and so what we knew from that going into the race was that we could, we could win the race if all I did was to let people know that that was who I was. So you could run as uh, the generic version of yourself. The name didn't I, matter so much. Exactly. And, and so, it, it, just, it was a question of attaching the name to the generic description. But in their case, in order to beat me, they were going to have to go negative. Right. Now, but before we go on to the next step of the campaign, um, is this generic description something that is standard among uh, campaign polling? Or is this something that Stacy kind of figured out when she realized that you got that nobody had name recognition, so you had to do something different? You know, I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever heard of it, but it was the first time I've ever had anybody do a, a baseline poll for a campaign I was running in, so... It may be it may be fairly standard. I mean, it's it's a pretty logical step if you know that you've got candidates that nobody knows about. Right, and a race that actually is probably pretty obscure. You know, even though it's a huge constituency and a very important position, Metro President uh, Metro Council President is kind of one of those races that people you know might not even know as an elected official. Exactly. Uh, you know, and oddly enough, I think I think that the the good news about this particular race in in 2010 was that it generated enough interest that it elevated the the whole interest in that race, uh, at least amongst the chatter class, uh, way above what it would have been otherwise. I, I think I, I I've never really done a comparison of the voter turnout for that race based on the others historically, but but we you know. Uh, Bob and I each got about 500,000 votes, I think, in that race. No, out of the 200,000 votes in that race. So that's that's a pretty decent turnout uh, for a race that nobody knows much about. And, and the other thing that was, I think, is a, is a metric for how interested people were in it was we got 36 invitations to do joint appearances. So we did 36 joint appearances. Uh, and that's a, that's a ton of public speaking. That is. And uh, who, who put together those 36 appearances? 
What, what? Uh, you, you know, they came in from everywhere. It was, uh, you know, we did a we did the typical city club uh, debate, both in the primary and the general. All of the chambers in the region came in and asked for uh, asked for, uh, and, and a, a lot of the special interest groups that do endorsements had us come in and speak. Usually, not just to the board, but to uh, sort of a general membership meeting. Now, did and you do so, did you do outreach to get these appearances, or did they come to you? Well, I mean, I, we did outreach to everybody that was likely to be giving money in a campaign and said, you know, we'd like to have your endorsement. And their, their pushback on that was, well, here's here's how we want to do it. And so uh, there were there were a lot of uh, a lot of people that came back. Some of them some of them were not not as worthwhile as others. We had a there's a senior citizen group that has lunch every every uh, week and and. Uh, Twice during the primary, they invited the three of us to come in and speak, and uh, we did. Uh, what we discovered was that when the lunch was through, which was when we were speaking, almost all of the senior citizens got up and left. All we had left was the staff, and so when we did the second one, the same thing happened. It was the same staff. So, so we, some we some public appearances were worthless, and others were more worthwhile. Yeah, and, and yet sort of comparable, uh, the Willamette, uh, Willamette View Estate, the Willamette View Estate, uh, the you know senior retirement home down on uh, in Milwaukee area, they have uh, a candidates fair every year. They've got a huge, they're really well organized. They've got uh, almost for a long time they had their own precinct, uh, and they've got uh, Democratic leadership and Republican leadership. And they had uh, they had us out for appearances both in the general and the, the, the primary, uh, and, and there were at least one other of the senior estates that did that too. So you know, it's a variety of different people that ask you to come speak, and, and quite frankly, uh, in some respects, that's kind of my forte. And so I've, I've never passed up an opportunity to speak. Now you mentioned earlier self-discipline and you know making yourself make that next phone call. What kind of discipline does it take, uh, or what kind of traits it, it, does it take to actually do these appearances well? And and did you do prep for these, uh, or did Stacy make you do prep for these? You know, we prep in that we we chatted about what their issues might be, and and you know we. But again, that that's I'm kind of used to all of that. And by the time we got down to the 30, 36th appearances, I could almost do them in my sleep. So this was just a skill you developed, and because you are, you know, you 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 speak well and you're comfortable with other people. That's kind of I imagine you've been that way your whole adult life. Well, you know, I, I spent 30 years as a classroom teacher facing, you know, 30 to 35 semi-hostile teenagers. Yeah, that's six that, times six times a day. That's so, an emotional boot camp for sure, right there. So you, you get used to you get used to it, and uh, you know, I I think that was one of the things that made me. Uh, it's reputed to be a pretty good teacher. Was that I, you know, I stuff didn't get under my skin. I didn't ruffle at questions. I didn't ruffle at anything the opponents said. Uh, you know, it was it, it was just it was. I I found the most fun experiences, quite frankly. And what do you think um, were the biggest factors in your victory? And it was pretty close victory, right? How, how many? Yeah. I think I won by 197,000 to 196,000, if I remember correctly. That's extremely close. And so, yeah. what do you... Well, it was Friday before we found out, for sure. Wow. What do you, what do you think were the main factors that got you just slightly more votes than your opponent? Was it 
that uh what was it <laughs> well yeah, again uh i 2010 was was uh, a really bad economic time, uh, and basically, um, what people were most concerned about was the economy. Uh, so, if we had run an election where what most people were concerned about, even even where most people were concerned about uh, global warming, if that was the top issue, I might have lost because uh, my opponent. Uh, had just been the you know executive director of Thousand Friends of Oregon and had really good environmental credentials. So he was the environmental uh, candidate. He was the environmental candidate, and uh, and I was the jobs guy. And uh, I think part of it was I happened to run at a time when the jobs guy had. I mean that's the part of my generic descriptor that uh, that really pulled the best. Uh, and so we did. We produced one single television ad. Uh, and it had a guy who was the, uh, uh, the head of the East Metro Economic uh, uh, East Metro Economic Alliance, uh, very uh, articulate, uh, uh, smooth-talking African-American guy who started out the ad by saying Tom Hughes has recruited billions of dollars for the city for development in the city of Hillsborough, and he can do the same for the region. And the guy who was the, the, the manager, the, the public affairs director for Genentech, I'm sorry, for SolarWorld out in Hillsboro, walking the floor of SolarWorld with a group of his guys behind him. And he said, Tom Hughes recruited us to Hillsboro, and now we've got 1,500 employees. And then me coming on saying, you know, I think it's everybody's responsibility to do what we can to build the economy. And that was the only ad we ran, and we so the money that we raised was not to, was not raised to buy more ads. It was to buy more playing of that ad. So you uh, so you produced a single ad, which probably was expensive, but not as expensive as producing multiple ads. Well, it wasn't as expensive as as any of the ads the other guys produced because again, Stacy had a, a videographer from from one of her previous experiences that agreed to do it for relatively cheap. And so I think that I think the production costs on our ad were about four four thousand dollars. That's pretty uh, inexpensive. And, no, so literally every penny that we raised just about went either into paying staff salaries. I had um in addition to Stacy, I had uh, some uh, 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 minimal office staff and, uh, and a uh, fundraising uh, helper. And what about um, money on polling? How much do you think you spent on polling? You know, we didn't. We, we did the initial poll. I don't think we. I'm trying to think if we ever did any. We didn't do any horse race polling in this particular race. So I think once we did the initial poll, we didn't actually do anything beyond that. No focus so we, groups? No focus groups, no nothing. I mean, we sort of said, let's see, let's put the money on the, on the TV. And so you, you went you went with and your one... Way, that, that, I'm was, sorry. That, that was, I'll make a slight exception to that. In the primary, because we got in late, number one, again, I'm, I guess I'm always late. late <laughs> Maybe it's your good uh, luck, though. You did win these I, races. Well, I, think, I think part of it is I am, I am literally pretty reluctant uh, and so it takes a while to persuade me, but, um, but in the primary, we didn't have a lot of money and we were, didn't have a lot of time. And again, Stacy had the theory, which I think bore out that if you're going to invest in a, in a media, uh, in a medium, don't, you should dominate the medium. 
And so we knew we couldn't do that with TV. We would be barely barely recognizable with that money on TV. So we spent most of the money in the primary on radio. And we, we literally did dominate radio. And, and because, you know, one of the good things about radio uh, is that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of data out there in the world about who's listening to which particular station. So you can really target uh, target information on radio a lot better than I think you can on, on TV. It's, it's more of a narrowcast than a broadcast. And did you have different I, radio ads for the different markets, or did you kind of produce one generic one? You know, I think, if I remember correctly, we did about two or three radio ads because they were way cheaper. And those were mostly just me or uh, some business person in the community. And how did you know which uh, demographics to target, right? Like, definitely the radio stations themselves have a lot of good information about who they reach. But how did you know which stations uh, to use to reach the people you wanted to reach? You know, I'd, I'd love to say that, that we carefully discussed all of that and sat down and crafted a very clear formula. I have no idea. I know that Stacy put that together. It may have been part of the original data research. I'm sure that on the baseline poll, we, we did something about which particular demographics tended to support me. Now, you know, I, I did ask you that question thinking that possibly you wouldn't be able to answer it. And, and it's interesting. So w- was there a decent amount of stuff going on in the campaign that Stacy knew and you and she never passed on to you and you didn't need to know? So it, it was. Yeah. And I think that's a, I mean, I think that's a great dimensional labor. A candidate has a particular role to play and, and knowing all the stuff uh, that all the mechanics you know, what the heck am I ever going to need to know that for? As long as she needs to know things like, for example, voter pamphlet material have to be delivered to each of the three counties. They, they can't be just delivered to one county and assume that the other two counties will pick it up. And you've got to pay the fee for all three counties. <laughs> Those are sort of some of the mechanics that, heck, I don't need to know that. I do know it now, but I didn't need to know it then. I mean, it was just, I, I, I didn't even have, I mean, I didn't more do much more than help edit the voters pamphlet stuff right so is it safe <laughs> to say that stacy won this race for you oh yeah yeah i mean i have no i have no qualms saying that at all she is she's a number one and she is she did some work with some some other friends of mine that, and has been universally successful so now you did most really, you did most of the fundraising though like you were the guy on the phone or did, or did only one, pretty much only one person can raise money and that's the that's the candidate and how much of your time do you think you spent dialing for dollars? It was a six-hour day, usually most days. Wow, that's pretty amazing. And so that so so dialing for dollars, going to these thirty-six public appearances. Uh, what other things did you do during the time you were running? Besides, you know, eat, sleep, uh, argue with your <laughs> wife. Well, yeah, I mean, I, there wasn't a lot. Of, I mean, it was a full-time job. <clears throat> um, I took a leave from the law firm uh, and never, quite never came back, but uh, they were very supportive of, of my efforts. And, um, and yeah, we just, you know, other, I, by the way, I, I forgot in terms of one of the expenses too, we, we did have some, uh, some office expenses. We had, we rented an office and had uh, some office space for a while. But the bulk of your money was spent airing television ads during the uh, general and airing radio ads during the primary. Correct. And then on your and then on your uh, staff and your you know your your, yeah. your highly professional campaign manager. I won't ask yeah. I won't ask you to tell me how much you paid her, but would you say that, that she was well remunerated for this uh, race? Uh, uh, you know, I think not as well as she probably should have been. <laughs> uh, 
she was good too about understanding that every dollar we gave her was a dollar we didn't put on TV. And she was new enough in the, in the position. And I, I was sort of her second major candidate. Uh, and, that, and I was, I was seen to be something of a long shot. Uh, and so if she won in my race, that would establish her reputation and she would do, she'd be in a better position later on. I think she made those calculations, quite frankly. And she, she, like the rest of us, came to believe in the campaign. Right. So she put in sweat equity both, you know, to get you the victory and then also if you were a long shot candidate and she took maybe less money than she was worth, but she won, that would increase her value in the future. Exactly. Well, that sounds like a very we, savvy we person. Never had that we never had that conversation. <laughs> but I'm assuming that that was true. Yeah, and it, you know, and it's and you wouldn't hold a grudge if that were the case, right? Because it, not know, at all. It's a symbiotic relationship, and um, you guys had a pretty good working relationship. Did you have some strife at all, or was the strife reserved for you and your wife? No, no, no. Actually, the, the strife, even the strife between me and my wife, got over really quickly because once once the campaign starts, my wife jumps on board with a vengeance, but. Uh, you know, uh, the usual strife, uh, there were times when she didn't think I was being disciplined enough about my phone calls. Um, uh, we actually changed locations because she thought that I was, there were too many distractions where I was in the other place. Uh, and, uh, you know, so we had the usual, uh, mentor mentee sort of conflicts. Uh, I, the thing that I, you know, I was potential and we had, very, very little friction, but there was occasionally friction where I had a point I wanted to make and she would have preferred if we'd have pulled it to see how popular that point was. Uh, I, you know, we had that discussion early on about, hey, don't, don't mess with, you know, you can, you can help me with my messaging, but don't mess with my, what I fundamentally stand for. And, uh, and she never did that. I mean, she, she honored that pretty well, I think. And I, I have a feeling that were some of the things that probably she would have liked it if I didn't say things. But you established because, that boundary early. You said, okay, this is, this is going to, I'm going to be myself in these ways and don't try to stop right. me. So, so right. that was established up front. Yeah. And I, and it, what that, I, don't, I wouldn't consider that even a conflict. I mean, we established it up front. She was, she pushed back a little bit, but then, but you know, she gave up on that pretty quickly. So, well, it sounds like you guys overall had a great relationship, and and certainly as yeah. as a working relationship goes, uh, the metric in campaigns of did you win or not means that yes, you had an excellent working relationship. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah, and it you know, uh, it's funny because uh, in both races, I was viewed. I, I remember when I was dollars for dollars in the primary. That the, the word that I got from a number of people was, um, you're in this too late and you haven't raised enough money, so I'm not going to give you any money because you're not going to win. Uh, and so we had to kind of overcome that. And again, being outspent in the primary, uh, but I finished first in the primary and without getting 50%, uh, therefore we had to go to the general. And I, and I was not... I think I may have been 9% ahead of the person that finished second. The, somebody, and I think it might have even been, either the News Times or the Oregonian did a piece where they talked about, uh, they interviewed somebody who said, yeah, the Hughes won the primary, but uh, in the general election, the supporters of the other two guys will join together, and that's more than a majority, and you'll lose. Uh, 
So even after I won the primary, I was considered a little bit of a long shot in the general. And you did win uh, the pri- you, you did win the election by a smaller margin than you won the primary. Yes. So yes. that so that and, was and so that was, was partly some, true. Some of those people came over. One of the things that I knew about the guy who did not finish third in the primary. One of the things that I knew about his supporters was that a lot of it had come from the building trade unions. And they had come in on his side because initially it was he versus the environmentalists. And uh, on the issue that was uh, almost embarrassing to remember it now because it's so long ago, but the issue was the bridge, the I-5 replacement bridge. I remember that issue (laughs) very well. And uh, he had decided, I think made a conscious decision that if he was going to win the election over at an environmentalist, he was going to have to win the business the business vote. And so he had come out fairly early and supported the bridge. Uh, and, of course, the other guy was opposed to the bridge. Uh, but, but I knew that those supporters that had supported him in the primary were not going to go to the other guy in the general, uh, that they were likely to come my way, because I also was a supporter of the bridge. And so... Um, it, it, on the one hand, in the primary, it cost him environmental votes that he probably would have liked to have had in order to go over 50 percent, although he didn't come very close to that. But uh, and, um, and on the other hand, uh, his, his support was most of his support was going to come to me. And I think a lot of it did. Um, the other thing that was is interesting, and, and the, the only analysis that I've really made in much depth about the whole outcome of the election was to sort of look at the look at the vote voter margins in the different counties uh and they were going in again did an article where they talked about uh the that the race was kind of the was won by the donut overcoming the hole uh and that the the center of the the center of the region went overwhelmingly for bob and the the donut the surrounding areas outside went pretty heavily for me uh there were just enough voters in that in that donut to carry me through i I think that that you know i I won washington county in the general election by about a 60 40 margin and that's you know it's my home county it was where i was best known uh it was the county where my campaign resonated probably the strongest uh i won clackamas county uh 53 to 47 so marginally but without that, without that margin, I wouldn't have won this. I wouldn't have won the race. So I needed the Clackamas County vote in order to win. I needed the Washington County to be as high as it was. I lost Multnomah County fifty-eight to forty-two, which is a pretty almost as much as I won Washington County by. The difference, though, the, the analysis that I had though was that Kitsapper beat Dudley in in Multnomah County seventy to thirty. No, I'm sorry. What do you, I, anyway, I, I, I was, uh, I had, there were 12% of the voters in Multnomah County who voted for Kitsaber and me. And so I think they were progressive enough that I came across as progressive enough, uh, that I could, um, that I could get some of those and it reduced his margin in, in Multnomah County from where he might've thought it should have been. 
and if it had been the same as, as Kitzhaber's, I would have lost. So Now, Kitzhaber, uh, was, he was the Democratic candidate, and he was running in a partisan gubernatorial race. Your race yeah. was not partisan, though. You, you were not— No. A, so, and, we were all, in fact, we were all Democrat. We were all what I would consider to be progressive Democrats. Right, so— uh, But so, I was viewed in the race. I was viewed in the race by many, many people as a Republican. Uh, which always shocked me just a bit because I've spent my entire life in a Democrat. So I didn't do too much to discourage that thinking, by the way. Right now, people thought you were a Republican because of your positions or because the presupposition that uh, a race like this is going to be a Democrat versus a Republican? No, I think in the, uh, because of the, my pro-business position, they, they I was viewed as pro-business, which many people equate to being a Republican. Right, and so, uh, but it was it was a nonpartisan race, and you out you outperformed uh, Kitzhaber, uh, yep. uh, or you outperformed your opponent um, when he your opponent probably naturally assumed that whoever was voting for Kitzhaber was going to vote for him, but that was not the case. Was not the case, no. Well, Tom, this has been really fascinating, um, and uh, I've definitely learned a lot, as I always do when I talk to you, and I think the students are going to learn a tremendous amount uh, from this. Okay. Is there anything that you want to add that, that was on your mind coming in that you didn't have a chance to talk about? No, I mean, I, you've pretty much covered, you've let me cover almost everything. Uh, I, I'm sitting here in my $63,000 studio, as you can hear the dogs in the background, which is my car. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, Thank you for giving me an opportunity. I mean, I I, uh, I appreciate this. It is it is the kind of activity that a, that a lot of people uh, looking back on. I don't, I don't know that any historical tracks are going to be written on the Metro President race of 2010, but uh, it's it is fun to talk about it. And uh, I, you know, I I do think I've had some experiences running the to- the whole breadth of political campaigns, so it's it's been kind of an interesting life. Yeah, and I, you know, um, if I ever run for anything, I'm going to want you to get Stacy on my side because it sounds yeah, like no she's I, the real pro. She is the pro, and she's still plugging away at it. She's, I think, she decided some years ago she'd switch to ballot measures rather than candidates because they're a lot easier to control. You know, it's funny because <laughs> other people who have worked for a decade or more is as campaign managers have told me that it's very compelling and many of them do make the switch because a ballot measure doesn't have to be managed like a candidate has to be managed yeah yeah and i I think you know uh you can you can talk a candidate through uh every issue that's likely to come up in a public appearance and they're but they're on the stage they have the mic they get the question their mouth opens and they say whatever the heck comes to them and so, uh, again, that's where discipline pays off. Uh, and uh, not just the discipline of being willing to put up with uh, calling, you know, doing the phone calls, which are mostly boring, but, uh, and kind of, you know, kind of tedious. But, uh, but the public appearances have their own level of discipline in that you've got to be disciplined to not just say the most clever thing that comes to mind, but you've got to be able to say what the messaging has shown you is the right message. Right. And I think that's why, you know, when people find out I teach political science, they're always like, oh, you're going to run for office? I'm like, you don't know me very well, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I do not have message uh, discipline. You don't have to pop off, Jack. <laughs> I, know, I know you well enough to know Yeah. So it, I think pe- people who know me pretty well are surprised that I'm able to not. Right. You have, well, you're, you're affable and I'm not, and you're probably way more disciplined <laughs> than I am, even though you might not think you are. All right, Tom. Well, I really appreciate your time, and uh, thanks for speaking to me today. Thank you, Jack. Bye-bye.